1: Tonight, Michael and I want to pay tribute to the legendary
2: Doctor
1: Michael. Tonight, Michael and I want to pay tribute to the legendary Doctor John. The Night Tripper, whose hit song, Right Place, Wrong Time, was adopted by us as the opening for our show. Malcolm John, Malcolm John Rebenack was born on November 20, 1941, at Baptist Hospital in New Orleans. His love of music came from his grandfather, who performed in minstrel shows, his aunt's piano lessons, and his father's record store in the Third Ward. As a teenager... Mack chose in-the-field instruction from other New Orleans musicians, including Professor Longhair, over schoolwork at Jesuit High School. By the age of 16, he was a performer, songwriter, and record producer, and at 17 joined the Musicians' Union, launching his 60-year career as a professional musician. Originally a guitar player, an injury to his left hand forced him to switch to bass guitar and then piano which became his signature instrument. In the 1960s, he went west, becoming a sought-after session musician, working with Sonny and Cher, Van Morrison, the Rolling Stones, and Frank Zappa. The persona of Dr. John the Night Tripper was born in California to bring a taste of New Orleans music and culture to the world. When the intended frontman of the show backed out, Mack assumed the role, launching an already successful career into the stratosphere. His first hit song started as a series of ironic lines suggested to him by Bob Dylan, Bette Midler, and, Do- and Doug Sam. Like a New Orleans gumbo, Dr. John took those lines, sprinkled in Mardi Gras drum beats, a little second-line brass, funky bass and electric guitar riffs, and his own brand of spice on the piano to produce Right Place, Wrong Time. The name for the Bonnaroo Music and Arts Festival was inspired by Dr. John's 1974 album, The Decisively Bonnaroo. Dr. John won six Grammys over the course of his career and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2011 by John Legend. Ever humble, Dr. John always gave credit for his success to the artists who inspired him and those he worked with throughout his career. In 2013, he was awarded an Honorary Doctorate of Fine Arts by Tulane University Dr. John passed away at his home in New Orleans just before sunrise on Thursday June 6, 2019 This is in memory of Malcolm John Rebenek Jr. Dr. John the Night Tripper November 20, 1941 to June 6, 2019
3: They call me Dr. Jones, known as a night tripper. Got my satchel of in my hand. they me tripping up and back down the bayou. I'm the last of the best. They call me the Greasy man. Got many clients. Gone for miles
2: around,
3: running down my prescription. I got medicine to cure all y'all's ill. I got remedies of every description.
2: I got it now.
3: I love trouble. You got a bad woman. You can't control.
1: Good evening and welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, and Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas. Seventy-five years ago, on June 6, 1944, a coalition of American, British, and Canadian forces Carried out Operations Neptune and Overlord, which became known to history as D Day and the Battle of Normandy. On this day in history, U.S. General Bradley met with British General Montgomery at Port en Bassin. Thank you for joining us for episode 14 State of Texas versus John William King, Lawrence Russell Brewer, and Sean Allen Berry. Tonight, we'll be discussing the racially motivated dragging death of James Byrd, Jr. On June 7, 1998, Mr. Bird accepted a ride from three men in an older model pickup truck. The next morning, his body was found on a back road in Jasper County, Texas. At first, authorities thought his death was the result of a hit and run, but it was soon obvious that Mr. Byrd's death was no accident we'll talk about the investigation that led to the arrest of King, Brewer, and Barry, Barry's confession, the trials, direct appeals, and post-conviction claims raised by Brewer and King, both in an attempt to avoid execution. As always, this is a live show and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael.
0: Good evening, Lisa. Uh, got an amazing topic to uh, start out with. First off, definitely want to give, you know, want to uh, give her thanks to all the uh, veterans and uh, especially, you know, our few, and there are just a few D-Day uh, D Day veterans left in, there in the country as well as, uh, you know, uh, one thing I do want to mention is, you know, definitely be keeping your – the state of Arkansas and your thoughts and anybody on the Arkansas River because there's some historic flooding going on right now in of Arkansas.
1: Yeah. I, I thought about marking that as well tonight, but I was going to also look for um, names of a New Orleans or a Louisiana D-Day veteran and an Arkansas veteran, but with Dr. John and The D-Day history—I just didn't feel like I could emotionally cope with that as well.
0: Right, right. And this case is pretty definitely thoughts and prayers go out to that family as well.
1: So, but we've also got some new developments that we want to go through real quick. Okay, Um, Bobby. Yeah, Bobby Busele follower of Charles Manson. His uh, parole was granted by the parole board in California. Governor Gavin Newsom has now reversed that decision. So Bobby Bousselet's parole is being denied. Uh, Leslie Van Houten, her parole grant was also reversed by Governor Newsom. Uh, Bousselet's was in April and Uh, Van Houten was just recently in June. And then also she has appealed an earlier parole reversal. That case was argued uh, to a superior court, I believe, and we're awaiting a decision on that from the court. And then in Dahlia DiPolito's case, the 4th District Court of Appeal has denied her motion for rehearing either by the panel that decided the appeal or by the full 4th District Court of Appeal. They also denied her request to certify two issues to be presented to the Florida Supreme Court. So that Hail Mary pass was intercepted or incomplete. And then just learned right before we came on that Muhammad Shahadeh, the the, uh, confidential informant, who went to police regarding Dipolito's plans to kill her husband has now been arrested in Palm Beach County for cyber stalking and terroristic threatening of his ex-wife Oh wow, and he is currently in the Palm Beach County jail being held without bond hmm. so uh we may we may have to follow up on uh on Dalia Dipolito's case this <laughs> in the future yeah um i I know well her sixteen year sentence will be over before the news stories are right. uh although none of the none of the news stories covered the request for rehearing or certification or the result, which is interesting. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, she's done. Maybe her fifteen minutes are really over uh-huh. and then, in Stephen Avery's case, Andrew Colburn's uh defamation suit has now been removed to federal court. Uh, which is common practice because the defendants live in a different state. They don't live in Wisconsin. So they, the idea is that a federal court is going to be more uh, equitable or fair than a local state court. Right. And – um of course, I, I would not be surprised to see very shortly a request to move the claim to California. Um, and then Netflix and the filmmakers of Making a Murder are also trying to get the case dismissed. Okay. So we'll see uh, basically on technical issues like uh, statute of limitations and – uh, that what they did wasn't even defamatory.
2: Mm-hmm. Or they're
1: not responsible or they're not responsible for the defamatory content. Content.
0: Like I was talking about when we were talking before the show came. Right. On, uh,
1: exactly.
2: Correct. Um,
1: Correct. And that is one of the issues that they're raising. We'll have to see how that plays out. Um well, and, I and mean, then in Mumia I will
0: say this. I will say oh, this. Sorry. Yes, you should be able to be held to a certain standard. But, I mean, think about how big Netflix is. I don't think they can watch every program and be like, oh, that may give us a little bit of culpability. We may want to, you know. I, I
2: think that's a yeah, that little if, bit much.
1: If they sought out the filmmakers and underwrote aspects of the production, because you got to remember, Making a Murderer, Making a murder one was filmed over about ten years. Right. If they underwrote any of the production during that ten year period, they mm-hmm. could find themselves being held liable for the deceptive and defamatory content. <laughs>
2: okay. So
1: it's like I said, it's gonna depend the relationships among the various defendants. Are going to be the key,
2: uh-huh.
1: and then finally in Mumia Abu Jamal, um, the DA. I think we did talk about he he discontinued his challenge to the trial court order regarding review of the post conviction appeal or post conviction claim appeals that were. Uh, decided by Judge Castile, who was found to have a conflict.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and so that is going to pre- proceed. However, the case is not at this time in the P- P- Pennsylvania Supreme Court. It is still in the Superior Court, which is the mid-level appellate court, um, because Abu Jamal is no longer sentenced to death. And it appears that Superior Court panel will decide whether it can consider the renewed appeal on the PCRA claims or whether they have to send it to the Supreme Court. Uh Uh-huh. And so uh, briefing's been ordered. I think the appellant briefs are not due until later in the summer around August. Okay. So, um, so that's where – that's some of the new developments that have happened in the last couple of weeks. The other cases: is Reed, Skinner, Swearingen. Nothing's happening right now, although Swearingen does have a date on August 21st mm-hmm. uh, for execution. So I would think 90 days is coming up very soon, uh, but so I would be surprised if – yeah, he's he's supposed to file something 90 days before, but Texas is a little lax, and so he may wait up till a week before the date to file a bunch of claims and then get a stay of execution or try to get a stay of execution.
0: Right, which I mean if you can, that'd probably be the smart move.
1: Well, except that at this point in time, Michael – He's going to be raising issues that he could have raised in his first post-conviction Well, right. They have known all along that cell phone data was used to place him on the road going from his trailer to where Melissa Trotter's body was found. They've known that since the first thing, but now they're wanting to file – a claim to say that the cell phone data was not reliable. That is wrong.
0: What I'm saying from his perspective, that would be the smart play to try to extend the clock.
1: Except that he's he's already had, I think he's had five dates and he's gotten five stays.
0: Right, but Lisa, ain't nobody I, gonna be just like, okay, kill me. I got my opportunity. His, you know, his I like,
1: I'm I am hoping that his luck is going to run out and that the CCA is going to very quickly dispose uh-huh. of any claim that he might file.
0: Okay. I mean I feel like um, if I were him, I would definitely at least file something tokenly beforehand because if you file them all at once, of course, I'm sure it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to say, okay, this guy's just trying to in the clock.
1: This is is a common misconception, and you hear it with Adnan Syed. Oh, well, we're not (sighs) going to do anything with that right now. We're going to see if it benefits him down the line. In post-conviction claims, just as in any civil lawsuit, you cannot hold on to an issue and then after you're unsuccessful on one issue, come back and raise the new issue. Mm -hmm. Courts are not designed to resolve disputes in a piecemeal fashion. Right. They are designed to resolve a dispute fully and completely and people who think it's okay because if the state tried you for murder and didn't get a didn't get a conviction and then came back and tried to try you for kidnapping that would be wrong Uh, right right that would be unacceptable right and yet that's you know, that's what Rodney Reed and, and Larry Swearingen are essentially doing. And it sounds like that's what, you know, Syed's people are doing, is they're finding this stuff and they're holding on to it as, you know, to use down the road. But the clock begins to run when you have knowledge. Right. And under every – just about every state post conviction you have about a year once you mm-hmm. find something or once there's a new supreme court decision that impacts your case right so uh yeah
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. all right so we're ready to move on to james bird okay um Mr. Bird was from Jasper County, uh, or Jasper, Texas, or in that area. It's kind of a small, a rural East Texas um, near the border with Louisiana, kind of in the mid to southern part of that eastern edge of Texas. It was a logging and small manufacturing community. Um, the population of Jasper is, was pretty much evenly mixed. Um, but it has had and has been given a, I think, a kind of undeserved reputation as a racist community. Because of Mm -hmm. what happened to James Byrd. In 1998, at the time of Mr. Byrd's death, Jasper had a black mayor. He was the first black mayor, but he was a black mayor. And I just don't see a racist, racially divided uh, town electing a black mayor. All right.
2: Yeah,
0: that's probably not Even
1: being able to elect a black mayor. Um, and so I think they've gotten kind of an undeserved repre- represent- reputation, but uh, that's for another part of the show. Um, his parents were Stella and James Bird Sr., he had a brother, Thurman, and then six sisters, Stella. Clara, Mary, Melinda, and Louvon, and another sister, Betty. Um, oh. And then he also had a son and daughter, um, both of whom I believe were serving in the U.S. Armed Forces at the time their father was murdered.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, and um he was survived by his siblings and his parents. His mother, Stella, passed away in 2010. Right. Uh, he's also, another claim to fame that he has is he actually was successful on appeal in a challenge to a denial of his request from the State Victims Compensation Fund. hmm He was apparently stabbed in 1991. He made a claim to the compensation fund. They denied his claim. He filed an appeal, but at some point was incarcerated, and so his appeal was – or his his claim – appeal of the decision was dismissed. And he successfully went to the Court of Appeal who reversed and remanded
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, saying that, you know, his, he should have had his, he should have had his day in court and the (laughs) trial court committed error by, by dismissing the case without, you know, securing his appearance in the trial court. Um, So, and there's nothing after that decision, which to me suggests that, The victim's compensation fund probably settled with him once his appeal of their decision was uh, basically resurrected in the trial court. Right. So uh, the evening of June 6, 1998, he was apparently attending a party for a family wedding. He got a ride home with his sisters and then went went to a second party. Um, now, Mr. Bird had a reputation as um, liking to drink, but he also didn't have a bad reputation in town. He wasn't known to be belligerent or angry or fight or do anything violent or anything of that nature. Uh, I'm not sure why he was incarcerated for a time. It may have been related to selling drugs. He lived on disability uh, income. He was 49 years of age at the time he died. Um, He did have a a limp from a childhood accident. Right. Um, He was also very – he loved music. And he had a good ear, so he could hear a song and play it on a piano. Really? Perfect key, everything. And he, he was always singing, always happy. Uh, people in the family, people, friends, remembered him as, you know, always singing and happy. And we, you know, really a harmless guy. Um,
0: well, of course, it's always not, not harmless,
2: No.
1: And I I think, you know, harmless and defenseless, because I think he was the kind of guy who saw the good in everybody. Uh Uh-huh. And so he would not think that anybody had evil intentions toward him. Right. So after his second party... He was walking home. He was only about a mile, two miles from home on Martin Luther King Boulevard in Jasper. And a pickup truck, driven by a young man that Mr. Bird knew, named Sean Berry, stopped and picked him up. And that was the last anyone saw him alive.
3: Huh. Okay.
1: And so then we're going to move on to the uh, perpetrators of this truly disgusting and evil crime. Uh, it's it, I'm going to try not to be graphic, but it's very difficult uh, because what they did is
2: Pretty just terrible. sick.
1: Yeah. Uh, John William King was adopted. He was born in Mississippi, adopted at a very young age, a few months old, and the family eventually moved to Jasper. So he was raised around Jasper. Um, However, as a teenager, he started hanging around with the wrong crowd and making bad decisions. He went to a youth camp like a boot camp-type rehab program,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, it apparently didn't take. And he landed in prison. I'm not quite – I never could find what his prior, car, his prior charges were for. He was arrested once with Sean Barry uh, for burglarizing a business.
2: Right, but I
1: couldn't find that was that was one of the crimes where he was sent to the youth camp, and um he ended up in prison in the Texas Department of Corrections, and it was there that he claims he was raped by African American inmates, which led him to join a white supremacist gang
0: well, and I mean, I've never wanted to you know blame the victim because they always, uh, you know, that's how victim blaming goes and everything like that. I'm not wanting to doubt anybody's story. But, you know, I mean, come on now. Everybody's been raped. Everybody's been abused. If you committed a crime, that kind of sounds like the go-to.
1: Right. Well, you know, and, and that may very well have led to and that may have led to his feelings toward James Bird.
3: Right.
1: Which he carried with him outside of prison. Um, Lawrence Russell Brewer was from uh, Sulphur Springs, Texas, which is in Lamar County around Paris, Texas. It's a little bit further uh-huh. north. Um, so he wasn't from Jasper. He also had done prison time for possession of drugs and burglary. He had a burglary charge, was given a suspended sentence, and then had burglary and possession of drugs. And, you know, when you screw up, when you're on probation or parole, and you screw up, you commit another crime, get caught with drugs, you're, you know, get caught driving drunk. You go back to prison to serve the rest of your sentence. That is right. how it
2: works. And
1: there are, well, it, it's, it's to a degree discretionary, but how many, you know, how many second chances do people have to oh, get? Oh, no,
0: it? I was literally just asking because I thought I had heard um, stories of people, you know, failing drug tests with CO well, and... It, and-
1: Well, you know, that depends. Okay, this would be failing a drug test. It can be discretionary with the PO, and it never goes beyond the PO. But if Uh he's pulled over and he's got felony weight marijuana or cocaine in the car, and he's facing a felony drug charge, it's pretty much not going to be discretionary.
0: It's pretty much don't go to, don't cook, pass Pasco, don't collect two hundred dollars
1: Correct. And, you know, I've, I've personally, this also may be another reason I didn't get picked for that jury. Because I feel actions have consequences and we should be prepared to suffer the consequences. So if you're on parole and you're still messing with drugs, either using Uh them, selling them, transporting them. You should be prepared if you get caught doing it to do the rest of your time and time on your new charges. Um, And I watch live PD and cops and see people crying. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? And it's like, dude, you're the one that had the drugs, not me.
3: Right.
1: Um, so he was released, he apparently served with King, pardon me, and he also was a member of the same racist gang. Okay. So, um, in prison. And when they were, when King and and Brewer were released, they both ended up back in Jasper, where they were sharing an apartment with Sean Barry. Now, Barry was a Jasper native as well. He had a good reputation in town. He was working as a movie theater manager. Um, He had had a troubled youth, but he had used his stint in boot camp to get himself onto a better path.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: At least until King and, and Brewer came into his life. Right. On the night of June 7th, King, Brewer, and Barry were driving around, drinking beer, uh, driving the back roads, small country town, you know, drive from one side of the town to the other, uh, drink your beer. There was apparently some uh, criminal mischief driving through people's yards, making a lot of noise with the tailpipes of the truck, uh, knocking down a few mailboxes, Uh, It it sounds to me a little bit, the dynamic is a little bit like Eccles, Baldwin, and Miss Kelly. Individually, none of these guys would have done anything. They Uh might have thought about it in their secret heart of hearts or secret black hole where their hearts should be but they wouldn't uh-huh. follow through but when they were together and add in alcohol the inhibitions drop and it's you know caution to the wind right. uh they they encountered Mr. Bird walking along Martin Luther King he knew Sean Barry Sean Barry knew him they pulled over they offered James Bird a ride And he accepted because he did not think they meant him any harm. Um, There's a, a dispute as to whether Bird wanted to join them drinking and driving around or whether Bird was expecting them to take him directly home, which was probably less than two miles away from where they picked him up. Right. Um, and that will come into play later in the story. Uh, instead of bringing Mr. Bird home, they ended up at a, a back country logging road. Mm -hmm. King and Brewer and probably Barry then engaged in beating Mr. Bird. Damn. Uh, paint was sprayed in his face Uh, it was a pretty relentless beating uh, because there was blood on Sean Berry's clothing and boots there was blood on King's sandals there was blood on the undercarriage of the truck Uh, Uh I believe there was some blood inside the truck Um, so it it was pretty pretty brutal uh, right. That, however, was not enough. They could not beat this gentleman and then go on their way. They, Sean Barry had a logging chain in his yeah. truck. The logging chain was tied around Mr. Bird's ankles, and then he was dragged behind the truck. Oh my for goodness. approximately three miles,
0: yeah my
2: goodness that is absolutely ridiculous
1: there was at autopsy the medical examiner believed opined that Mr. Bird was actually conscious and aware for some distance, probably about two miles because. There was evidence that he was holding his head up, trying to keep his head from hitting the pavement.
2: Goodness
3: gracious!
1: And then the the final blow was uh, there was a turn, and when they came around, uh, was it momentum swung Mister Bird out, and he struck a culvert. Man. And then they left his – what was left of his body in front of a uh, church on this little country road, and it was – and Mr. Bird's body was found the following morning. Um, Sheriff Rowell, who had just been elected very short time before… Uh, initially when he got the call, he thought they were dealing with a hit-and-run. Somebody walked uh-huh. on the road early in the morning, late at night, car didn't see him, hit him, killed him, and drove away. And when he initially got to the scene, he saw what he thought were yawn marks made in the roadway by the vehicle. And he thought, well, this is going to be the easiest case to solve because – We're just going to follow these marks to the driveway, and there's going to be our car, and inside the house is going to be our perpetrator. But as they were following the trail along the roadway, they realized it wasn't y'all marks. It was basically a, a trail left by Mr. Bird. Man. Um, And when they got to the end of the trail, what they found, instead of a vehicle responsible for Mr. Bird's death, they found a scene that appeared to have been the site of a struggle. They also found a three-eighths-inch nut driver, a tool, with Barry inscribed on it. And they found a lighter with the KKK and the name Possum inscribed on it. Mhm. Um. So then a witness came forward, and the witness told police that he had seen Mr. Bird getting into a truck on Martin Luther King. Uh, it was an older model gray primer, or primer gray truck. And one of the deputies recognized the truck as Sean Barry's. Right. So, now, prior to, I guess maybe while all that's going, early Sunday morning, King and Barry take the truck and wash it. But they don't wash the undercarriage. Oh my goodness. And I don't think they detailed inside the truck. Um, They also took a trip to a a site where they had played paintball the day before, and they put the logging chain in a hole and then put a piece of plywood on top of it.
2: Mm.
1: Um, Later that day, uh, after uh, Sheriff Rouse made the, the notification of to James Bird's family, and he promised them that the Jas- Jasper Police and Jasper Sheriff's Office would not stop until they arrested the people responsible for this crime. Right. Um, there are people who have said if it had been any sheriff other than Sheriff Rowles, the crime might have never been solved. But, you know, Sheriff Rowles was the real deal. And he also, in an interview, uh, it was very, very, very touching. He was being interviewed and he said, It wasn't just me. It was a team effort. The Jasper Police and the Sheriff's Office, we worked together. We were a team. And we did it together. It wasn't just me, which I really appreciated that he wasn't taking credit for cracking this case and they solved it within 48 hours Mm -hmm. so um, later that day Barry was arrested because you know unfortunately criminals are just pretty bad drivers as a whole you know Ted Bundy bad driver Um, yeah uh, who else can I, I, I can't think of who else couple of others were just bad drivers. Well Sean Barry, he got pulled over for a traffic stop. There was a bolo out on his truck, so he was brought in. Um oh, yes. I think he was a little reluctant at first, but uh he eventually confessed and identified King and Brewer.
0: Well I mean Lisa as being a- is they always are terrible at keeping up with their vehicle too, because they always seem
1: to have a light out or something too. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, I couldn't find any uh, any details on what the traffic infraction was, uh-huh. um, but it was a violation. <laughs> That's right. all I could get. Was well, you know they don't they roll through stop signs, they don't stop at stoplights, don't use their signals. Right. It doesn't sound like it was a Uh, You know, like an equipment violation with a light out or a a turn signal not working or something like that. It sounds like it it was for a moving violation.
0: Well, and that's the funniest daggone thing to me. It's kind of ironic because, you know, if I had just committed a crime and I'm trying to evade police, the first thing I'm going to do is make sure I am the damn safest driver on the road.
1: You know, but sometimes that can work against you because if you're trying to be careful and you drive driving below the speed limit, that That's looks suspicious.
2: True, That's true, Tim. And, uh, Good
1: point. What is it, drive casual? <laughs> right.
0: That's natural. So,
1: uh, yeah. Um, so King and Brewer were arrested. A search warrant was executed on uh, the apartment that they shared, and – quite a bit of evidence was recovered from that residence.
2: Oh and I can imagine. uh
1: the the friend where they were playing paintball, uh he was contacted and he showed police where they had been playing paintball and that's when they discovered the poorly concealed logging chain. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, nobody else Which
1: they they knew a logging chain was involved because there was apparently in the bed of the truck, there was a like an imprint from where a logging chain had been. So they knew such chain was missing.
0: As soon as they found the chain, they knew it was
1: over. Correct. Now, I don't know where, whether any, any evidence was recovered from the chain itself. Um, but they just, they uncovered, this was 1998, but they Correct. did have DNA evidence, and the DNA evidence pretty much ties each one of them to James Bird's murder
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: beyond a reasonable doubt. King was the first person to go to trial. Um and he initially had written to Sean Barry talking about what a great thing they had done and how they, you know, really, you know, made a statement for history. Uh but by the time of his trial he had changed, he was not gonna own up to uh what he'd done, and his defence was I wasn't there.
3: Wow.
1: Uh included in that attempt to create that defense was a letter that he wrote to the Dallas Morning News with unsubstantiated claims that Sean Barry and James Bird left to do a drug deal and that's what happened. He wasn't wow. there. The lighter oh, cool. Somebody borrowed his lighter. The sandals, they didn't belong to him.
0: Of course. I'm going to make myself look um, out to be the bad and screw them other guys.
1: Well, no, you know what it is? It's not that. It's, that. it's not. He wasn't worried about being the bad guy. He didn't care about that. He didn't want the death penalty.
0: Ah, oh, I got you.
1: Okay. He didn't want the death penalty.
0: Well, we see so, how well
1: that worked out. Um, so the prosecution's case against him—he was the first tried uh, in Jasper County. The lighter found at the crime scene, uh, the DNA evidence in the truck that placed James Bird in the truck, blood consistent with James Bird's on his sandals. And there were cigarette butts also found at the crime scene, one of which identified him as a major contributor. Um, To establish the racial motivation for James Byrd's murder, they had the gang affiliation, the white supremacist or white separatist uh, meanings of Mr. King – and some of his writings and also his tattoos.
2: Okay. Uh, At the
1: time of the trial, while King had been extrajudicially trying to sell the story of a drug deal gone bad uh, and and him being home asleep in his bed dreaming of sugar plums and uh, fairies,
2: uh, the defense...
1: Yeah, being a good little boy, uh, the defense really – I mean in the face of the evidence that the prosecution had, all they could really do was try to poke holes in the case. And the major right. thing that they challenged was the kidnapping charge. There was no evidence that Mr. Bird was kidnapped. If there's no kidnapping, there's no capital murder.
0: So basically they were saying, yeah, we killed him, but it wasn't capital murder because there was no They kidnapped. they
1: weren't necessarily they weren't necessarily saying he killed him. Okay. They were saying it, that if if the jury found beyond a reasonable doubt that he did kill him, he didn't kill him in the course of a kidnapping.
0: Right.
1: Now, my reasoning on that is if you pick him up and he wants to go home and you do not deliver him home, that's kidnapping.
2: Yeah.
1: If you pick him up and he's cool with accompanying you you around town drinking beer and then you take him to a back road miles away and you beat him. And you chain him to a truck, and you kill him, you kidnapped him. Yeah. And apparently that is how the jury saw it as well. So they found him guilty of capital murder. At the sentencing phase... uh, Two things really worked against King. One, he still was not taking responsibility for his actions or showing any remorse for what he'd done, and he had a prior criminal history. And based on what he'd done, he was a danger, especially with the white supremacist, white separatist beliefs that he held – um, mm-hmm. He was a future danger. So, uh, because he, you know, in prison, he's going to be in an environment with other African American prisoners. Right. And they you know, they could become targets for this rage and hatred that he has. So they sent right. him to death.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. Brewer's trial was moved to Brothos County. Uh, prosecution case was kind of similar. Uh, they had the DNA from James Bird in the truck. They had a cigarette butt that linked Brewer to the attack scene and Brewer's white supremacist, white separatist leanings. Um And I think they had some some writings of Brewer as well. Again, in the face of that evidence, the most his defense could do was challenge the kidnapping charge uh, by basically arguing Mr. Bird decided to go with them so they didn't kidnap him. And the time and cause of death was another element that they – they cha- They tried to uh, challenge, and that was based on Brewer's statement that prior to dragging Mr. Bird behind the truck, Sean Barry slit his throat. So his body – they were dragging a dead body, not a live one. So like that makes it better.
0: Right. So here's the question I have with this. They they think that the dragging is what was gonna give them the death penalty at this
1: point? So they were like, Oh, he was already dead. We no, 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 dead. no. No. Um what the what gave what made this a capital murder, uh, because there was no hate crime le- legislation at that time, what made it a capital murder was that they kidnapped James Byrd prior to to murdering him.
0: But what I'm saying is, did they believe, why would they argue, what what sense would it make to argue that they drug a dead or alive body? body?
1: Well, no, what, basically what Brewer was trying to argue was that um, the time and cause of death, first of all, if Sean Barry slashed James Bird's throat, Brewer had nothing to do with his death.
0: Oh, okay, I got
1: you. Barry caused the death. And if Mr. Bird was dead when his body was being dragged, that had nothing to do with Russell Brewer.
0: Okay. They were trying
1: to limit culpability. Correct. They were trying to limit their culpability, um, and basically I think his, his defense was kind of the same. They, they didn't concede that he had anything to do with James Byrd's death, but if the jury so found beyond a reasonable doubt that he did have a hand in the death, it was not a capital murder because there was no kidnapping.
2: Right.
1: And maybe, you know, maybe to a degree he was trying to lessen the impact of the dragging by trying to claim that Mr. Bird was dead at the time his body was dragged. But, you know, the testimony from the medical examiner was that uh Mr his throat was not slashed he was at least conscious for part or majority of the dragging because there was a lack of injury to his head that would have Mm -hmm. occurred had it been bouncing on the concrete two miles up the road but we
0: found out that he was trying to hold his head up
1: correct That, that That lack of injury suggested that during the two miles, he was holding his head up from the road.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And trying to
1: keep his head from striking the road.
0: Right. So we already learned that. So why are they saying that, you know, that proves that what, how did you word it? They
2: were well, there there people.
1: were def- there were separate trials. That's the thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. King and Brewer were tried separately.
2: Mhm.
1: And so, um, the medical examiner basically has to testify at each trial to what he found. Mhm. And you know, again, Brewer. One of the elements that he challenged was a time and cause of death. King didn't so much do that, but that still would have been established as part of the evidence because that's part of what makes the crime so heinous. Right. Is that, you know, this gentleman was alive and trying to stay that way. By protecting his head.
0: Yeah, I mean.
1: So, and again, Brewer's criminal history and lack of remorse because he too uh, tried to claim that, uh, you know, he wasn't responsible for the death. It was all Sean Barry, and that did not help him with sentencing because there was there's no remorse. If you're not going to admit to what you've done, the full extent of what you've done, and say you're sorry for doing it, then there's no remorse. If you're going to say, I wasn't guilty of capital murder. I didn't kidnap him. I didn't kill him. Then you right. know, you're not you're not remorseful, and he too was sentenced to death. Good. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, and then I mean, I, um, Sean. But hmm? I don't mean
0: to sound like an asshole, but I mean, come on now.
1: If this is one of those cases. If these two did not deserve the death penalty, I'd like somebody to tell me who would. Right. Really um, and then, for- yeah, and then finally, Sean Barry, who was still awaiting trial in in Jasper County, he elected to appear on 60 Minutes and do an interview with Dan Rather. And um, he actually gave an interview, and I watched it. He seemed to be, for the most part, very honest and very genuine and remorseful for his part. In the murder, I think that he perhaps was protecting himself by denying any participation in events. Um, Perhaps because he can't live with himself if he admits that he engaged in beating Mr. Bird and he perhaps engaged in uh, the dragging. Of Mr. Bird, mm-hmm. uh and the fact that there was blood on his clothing suggests that he was involved at least during the beating, if not during the dragging uh The district attorney demanded the raw footage of those interviews, which sixty minutes thinking they were in New York and could claim absolute privilege, said no, and one of their producers ended up being charged with contempt of court. And so there was a bit of a fight over the raw footage. Eventually, the ABC issue News? was resolved. CBS. Why would ABC News not want to give CBS.
0: The, excuse me, well,
1: CBS you- News Yeah, journalists want to protect their sources, and journalists, producers, documentary makers, to them, the footage is theirs. Nobody has a right to see it but them, and that's all well and good, but when you have somebody preparing to go to trial on a capital murder charge, the DA is going to want to make sure – especially if there's a deal of some kind for a guilty plea, the DA is going to want to make sure that all the statements made in the interview are consistent with the statements that are going to be made or have been made in court. Um, you know, so if Barry's going to get to up and say, hey, you know, look, we, if he's going to tell 60 Minutes, look, we stopped at this bar and Bird went off with four other men, and we never saw him after that and we have no idea what happened.
0: And that okay. The DA needs to know about that. that he kept his guilty plea so that he was gonna No, he wasn't behavior. pleading.
1: He that was an example that I was using. You know, oh. for example, if he was gonna testify against the other two. They wanna make sure that he's giving consistent statements. They don't want the defense attorney to pull out this interview. And use it on cross examination at trial.
0: Ah, makes sense. Okay.
1: You know, um, the issue was eventually was resolved when CBS agreed to provide transcripts of the full interviews. Yeah,
0: that seems like a fair trade.
1: Um. So, and I think part of that is in New York, journalists do have an absolute privilege to protect their sources. Uh They don't have to turn over anything that they don't want to. They cannot be compelled by a court to do so. But you're not in New York. You're in Texas. And Texas laws are going to be different. Um, And, you know, the way I look at it, you're not protecting a source. Sean Barry is not a secret informant giving you a story adverse to the state of Texas Uh and adverse to his own interests. He's a defendant in a capital murder trial giving an interview to a reporter that is going to be aired in some form on television. And therefore, the DA and the defense attorneys should have every right to see the raw footage to ensure that oh. the statements are consistent. Right. To ensure the statements are consistent with the ones he made to police, to ensure they're consistent with his defense and that they don't harm his defense. Because when you have clients, you know, I mean we've seen Charles Manson. Um I think Scott Peterson to a degree, they gave statements to the media that ended up coming back and biting them on the ass.
2: hmm
1: That their attorneys would have said, sit down and shut the F up. And don't right. say anything to anybody.
2: Yeah.
1: So, um, you know like i said i i i think that cbs was just standing on a principle and they ended up compromising and you know the the producer didn't end up going to jail right although she did she did end up in booking once
0: oh really
1: yeah for a few minutes she went down to booking so Who? Why don't we break here and then we'll come back and talk about Barry's trial? Sounds good.
3: in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time. Vape it like you built it.
2: Such
3: a name. Nice. It's yeah, such a name. Nice.
1: when you do that (laughs) because at night i put my phone on mute so i'm just walking back to the office and closing the door before the dog makes a cameo appearance i
0: love the cameos
1: when he hears me talking he he starts barking <laughs> so he's a weird little dog. All right, so Sean Barry trial. it was also held in Jasper County. And again, DNA evidence in his truck, on his clothes, boots, and a third cigarette butt place him at the fight scene. And his confession also uh, inculpates him in the death of Mr. Bird. The defense case was just basically to argue that he did not have a hand in Mr. Bird's murder, that he was afraid of King and Brewer and stood by helpless as they did what they did. Uh, he had some character witnesses. He did not have a reputation for racism or anything of that nature. And well, he also did show just, some remorse.
0: This guy was hmm? scared out of his mind that these monsters killing this
1: Well man. I I think I think that could be a little true, although again He had a hand in some of it. They were in his truck. Right. He reported statements made by King that would lead any reasonable person to know that something horrific was going to happen. Mm -hmm. But he didn't take steps to prevent prevent it. Uh, but again, he and he did show remorse in the in the 60 Minutes interview. Dan Rather asked, you know, what would you say to Mr. Bird's family? And he didn't think about it. He didn't demur. He didn't give this. Well, I didn't have a hand in killing him, so I don't really know what to say. I'm sorry so for their loss, question. but it doesn't have anything to do with me. But what he so did my say. Question,
0: um, is- my question on this, even if he's denying that he had anything to do with the actual murder,
2: this is Texas,
0: so obviously the law of parties uh, would apply. Wouldn't that be something that they could still get him on anyway?
1: Technically, yeah. They okay. could. But what he did say in the interview, when Dan rather asked him what he would say to the Bird family, he said I would say that I am sorry I didn't do more to protect Mr. Bird. Mm-hmm. If I had when they when Brewer and King were outside the truck, if I'd gunned it and driven away and left him there, Mr. Bird would still be here.
2: Mm.
1: So, you know, he's showing and that to me it it felt genuine and it shows true remorse for whatever part he played. Whether it was as limited as he says it was or whether it was more... You know, because he's the one who knew James Byrd. So he's the one that invited him to, you know, hitch a ride. Mm-hmm. And Knowing him may have been why Mr. Byrd accepted at that time of night. All right. Um, and, uh, again, you know, the jury found him guilty of capital murder, just as they, you know, the prior two juries had with King and Brewer, Um. So I, you know, I think they believed he had remorse, but he still had to pay the consequences and that he did have a part in Mr. Bird's death. Uh, and they considered sentencing. He didn't uh, – Barry didn't have a, a history of violence. He didn't have a criminal record. Uh he had a good reputation in town. This was almost like, you know, people couldn't believe that he was involved. And the jury ended up sentencing him to life plus, I believe, 40, which in Texas means he's only going to serve 38 years. Okay. Because in Texas, there is no life without parole.
2: Okay.
1: Or at least at the time. Of Mr. Bird's murder, there was no life without parole. Oh. So, um, in the direct appeals, uh, King basically his conviction was affirmed. He raised a number of issues, all related to sufficiency of the evidence, and uh, I think he raised an issue regarding. Uh, The trial court not changing venue from Jasper County, Uh, but none of those issues were found to have any merit by the uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. And his conviction and sentence were both affirmed. Uh, Brewer's conviction and sentence were also affirmed. The decision was not published So I do not know what issues he raised um, or what he presented in support of those issues. And then, same goes with Barry. His conviction and sentence were also affirmed, but that decision was not published, and there's no copy of it available anywhere online. I've been Googling the crap out of it. For a week, <laughs> and mm. never can't find the direct appeal opinions. Um,
2: right.
1: He had a direct appeal to the intermediate court of appeal, and then his attorneys filed a petition with the criminal court of court of criminal appeals for discretionary review, which was refused. Right. And then another thing that leads me to believe that Sean Barry does have some true remorse for whatever part he played, he has not filed any state or federal post-conviction claims. Okay. In the 21 years he's been incarcerated in Texas uh, Department of Corrections. the Because he was convicted of capital murder, even though he wasn't sentenced to death, that direct appeal may have been automatic because it's a serious felony <clears throat> and that's the only reason the direct appeal was was pursued right um but he he's not you know he's not filing post conviction claims. So, I think he he has some remorse and he's he's willing to accept the consequences
2: uh-huh. for
1: events of June 7th, 1998. His co-defendants on the other hand are not. Uh, King filed state post conviction claims and so did Brewer. Neither of them were successful. Uh, They each tried to basically argue actual innocence, claiming that Barry went off alone with Brewer, and they had nothing to do with it, or that Barry is the one who actually caused Brewer's death, and therefore they're not guilty of capital murder. Mm -hmm. Um, Their state post-conviction claims were unsuccessful. They went to federal court raising constitutional claims from their direct appeals or their state post conviction appeals again, not successful um, and you know it was kind of the same thing same thing different day, you know right <laughs> kinda of like groundhog day um, <laughs> including including I think it was King. That actually tried to repackage some claims and call them something different in order to re argue them or try to relitigate them. Uh, right. Lawrence Russell Brewer was executed in September of 2011 after unsuccessfully challenging his conviction and sentence. Lawrence Russell Brewer is also the one who ordered the uh, ridiculous last meal and then did not eat it, Uh, which I think we briefly talked about uh, a couple weeks ago. And let me tell you what he ordered, okay? Yeah. Um, He ordered... Oh, the page is loading. I hate when this happens. Okay, Lawrence Russell. Yeah. Uh, He ordered two chicken fried steaks, a triple patty bacon cheeseburger, uh, fried okra, a pound of barbecue, three fajitas, a meat lover's pizza, a pint of ice cream, uh, the Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream and a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts. The bill for that at a local restaurant, I believe in Huntsville near the prison, is about uh-huh. $75.
0: Right.
1: And then when he got, when the meal was delivered, he declined to eat it.
0: Oh, he didn't only decline. I don't think he laptop. knocked it on the floor
1: or did anything. He didn't do anything dramatic like knocking on the floor or throwing it in the trash. He just said, I ain't eating it.
0: Okay. Well, I, thought he was, I thought he had just, like, as soon as they handed it to him, tossed it in the garbage.
1: No, I, I haven't found anything that claimed anything so dramatic but uh, a state senator in Texas by the name of Whitmire was Mm -hmm. extremely, extremely angry by this because that is taxpayers' dollars.
2: Right, absolutely.
1: And he did not feel that death row inmates should get special treatment, even if they are about to be executed. And so he's the one who put through a bill that basically ended the tradition of last meals for condemned inmates about to be executed. Mm-hmm. And basically now in Texas, even on your execution day, you get whatever the Texas department of corrections is going to feed you for that day. Right. Uh, so, you know, I was, when I saw that, when I was doing the research, I was like, there it is. I knew I remembered hearing about it. Um, but yeah, that was pretty, and I think I, you and I talked about it. I, sometimes I think that big last meal is meant as a gotcha to whoever has to deal with the deceased inmate.
2: Uh huh.
1: Because when you when you die, certain things happen. Right. And they aren't pretty. All right. So yeah. So he ended last meals for all the other inmates, and you know, people. Senator Whitmer said, he thinks it was just yet another way for this guy to try and game the system, the way he's been trying to game it for. 13 years
0: Uh-huh.
1: and uh, so that was the end of that and then uh, King's excuse me, King raised uh, an innocence claim which took a few years to get through the federal courts and basically he found an attorney that was actually willing to get up in front of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and argue that Mr. Bird's murder was a backwoods drug deal gone bad, and that mm-hmm. John William King was not there and had nothing to do with it. Um, this makes me angry because there was not a shred of evidence or corroboration for the claims that Sean Barry and James Bird were engaged in any type of drug deal or transaction on the night of June 7, 1998. The allegation was that Sean Barry was a steroid user uh-huh. and thereby prone to rages. Now, this is a story that this is a story that John William King was floating in 1998-1999 to the Dallas Morning News. So it wasn't new. But okay. this attorney was arguing that his original defense attorneys should have presented this evidence at trial.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I listened to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal uh, hearing today or oral argument today. And one of the judges was like, okay, maybe Mr. Bird was involved with drugs, but you got no evidence he was involved with steroids. Mhm. Drugs are right. drugs are not, you know, all drugs are not equal. Yeah. So, um so that he, you know, was not successful. He also tried to argue based on McCoy Versus Louisiana, which is a case decided in 2017, I believe, uh, which essentially a defense attorney conceded guilt of his client, even though the client wanted to argue that he was being set up by police or framed by police for the murder of his ex-wife's son and parents.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, the U.S. Supreme Court found that, you know, a defendant has a Sixth Amendment right, Sixth Amendment right, to present a defense even if a defense lawyer does not believe that it's a reasonable strategy to do. Right. Um, In this case, however, the Fifth Circuit, the U.S. District Court, and then the Fifth Circuit both found that King's case was not like McCoy's. King's attorney did not go against King's wishes because there was no evidence to support King's claim that Sean Barry and James Byrd were involved in a drug deal Mm -hmm. of any kind. So um, that was not successful. And in April, uh, King was executed by Texas for the murder of James Byrd. Uh, Interestingly, when asked on the gurney if he had any last words, he simply said no. He kept his eyes closed and uh, was injected with the drugs. Twelve minutes later, he exhaled one breath, and he was gone. It was over. Um, Afterwards... He had apparently prepared a written statement, which was delivered by a representative of the Department of Corrections in a news conference. And King's statement was capital punishment, though, them without capital get the punishment. Right. Guess who that pissed off?
0: Uh, I'm sure
1: the senator. Correct. Senator Whitmire. Once again, he was very upset that the statement was read. His opinion is basically if they don't want to say it, then it ain't going to get said.
2: And And so I'm I'm sure there will be –
1: there there will be another bill that will prevent a a condemned inmate from passing an inflammatory written statement that they don't have the balls to speak because basic that's what it is. he didn't have the balls to say it true, so it should it should go with him to the grave um. And- now there is one other thing it's not on the outline and and I should have put it on the outline. The Bird family has always been divided on the issue of the death penalty. The Bird family as a whole has forgiven Mr. King, Mr. Brewer and Mr. Barry for taking James Bird Jr.'s life. Right. Birds son and daughter did not want anyone executed for this murder. Mm -hmm. Some of Bird's siblings, however, felt differently. Um, His mother wanted to be alive to see at least one of the convicted executed. She, unfortunately, did not live to see that. His – I think two of his sisters and one niece all attended both executions, and afterwards they felt that justice had finally been served. And with William King's execution, they feel that justice has finally been served. Right. Um. And you know, again, this was this death also spurred hate crime legislation in Texas uh, and federally. The Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Acts were both a result of the murder of Matthew Shepard and the murder of James Byrd. Those were passed by Congress in 2009. And it's the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd, Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, which were signed into law by President Barack Obama in October 2009. Um, Governor George W. Bush opposed hate crime legislation in Texas. He felt it wasn't necessary because in James Byrd's murder – King and Brewer were both sentenced; for, were both convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. And so he didn't feel that additional hate crime legislation in the future would add anything of benefit or value to similar crimes in the future. Right, because they would be prosecuted as capital murder and eligible for the death penalty in and of themselves without the enhancement of a hate crime. Now, where it could be is in a case, uh, an injury case, where the person isn't killed but is severely injured, and you're not dealing with murder. You're dealing with aggravated assault or attempted murder, Um, and hate crime – Is usually used to tack additional years onto a sentence, not onto a charge.
2: Uh
1: In other words, that you're convicted of attempted murder but not attempted murder as a hate crime, and the hate crime adds years onto a sentence it doesn't enhance the the charge, the criminal charge. Oh. So, okay. um, Mr. Bird's family also has, they want to bring the town together. They don't want the town to be torn apart by what happened and, and by the ramifications of what equates to the uh, lynching of an, a black man by white men. Um, so they have tried to give a a message of unity rather than division. And oh, they wow. were able to uh, open a park on donated land and a bench was recently uh was recently installed they were able to raise the money they've they've had a foundation going and it's you know they've lost members because of advancing age and and just financial difficulties and things like that but um the bench in they put up this bench in a park, and it's got a really great message. And that message is: "Be the change that you want to see in the world." hmm And I think that's a great message. And and Sheriff Ralph also credits. Uh, the religious leaders in Jasper for not allowing what happened at Jamesburg to incite division between black and white Christian, Jew, Catholic, Protestant, you know, whatever, uh, dividing lines there might be uh, through the town. And, um, they actually kept it quite peaceful i mean there were the odd protests of course the kkk had to come in and try and incite something Oh. Uh,
2: cool. and
1: they you know the new black panthers came in to counter protest but uh the bird family message was to keep it peaceful to be nowhere near it. yeah uh but you know the bird family message was to keep it peaceful right and i you know i think that is that is the best message be the change that you want to see in the world yeah so and i think you know like i i think i alluded to i think jasper has gotten an unfair sometimes by outsiders who portray the town as horribly racially divided uh horribly racist uh but the people who live there just you know that's not that's not their experience right um, and there there were surveys done because the media of course comes in, and you know they have to have the story. And they tried to do a survey in the schools, and people were saying, "Do we really need the, a survey like this? I mean, we live here, we know we know, and are we doing this because of the media <clears throat> or are we really trying to answer a serious question so um yeah i've seen I've seen pundits around the time of King's execution saying, "Oh yeah." You know, when I'm in Texas, I won't even drive through Jasper.
3: Right.
1: Well, I don't think a lot of people drive through Jasper because it sounds like it's kind of, you know, it's off in the piney woods. (laughs) Right. And there's probably not, there's probably not, I mean, you know, the, the, the fun thing to do was driving around town drinking beer. Right. You know, so it's not like Austin. Yeah, there's not a lot to do, but get in trouble. Or Houston. You know, yeah. so, but yeah, that is, um, not surprisingly, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there weren't a lot of web pages de- de- dedicated to any of these three. Um, there have been a few books and a few uh, documentaries. Uh, ironically, Dick Gregory who was very vocal about the injustice and the wrong of Mr. Byrd's death, showed up to protest Lawrence Brewer's execution because he's opposed to death penalty. Right.
0: Which, I mean, just because you throw this person's guilty doesn't mean you believe that they should be put to death. Uh, you mentioned something that I find interesting. You, you know, you mentioned that there's not a lot of, you know, and I call them because of my, you know, obvious connection with it, the West Memphis Three-Side type deals, where, you know, they're pleading for the, uh, they're pleading for the, uh, defense. But my thing is with cases like these, even though they are rare, the public outcry is going to be pretty obviously minimal because, uh, it's a little bit less uh, palatable, you know, Correct. murder's murder, but it's a little less palatable to be like, yeah, uh, them racist people sure enough didn't do kill that poor black man. You know what I'm saying? Right. It, 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 it wouldn't make any sense, plus it would paint you with a brush you probably didn't want to be painted with anyway.
1: And that that's exactly it. That is exactly it. Again, you know, King was able to find an attorney. The attorney even made an argument to the Fifth Circuit about the tattoos, how the tattoo artist who testified at trial didn't really put the tattoos on, so he had no idea what they meant. Right. Because King had a lot of racist tattoos. He had a a black male figure hanging from a tree. Oh, wow and according to his girlfriend um you know he had a derogatory uh statement about what that tattoo meant to her when he you know he told her this is what it means you know and he used a derogatory word the n word um so you know the the fifth circuit i'll, I'll tomorrow i will um I will go to. I'll download that and send you the audio file, just so okay. you could just listen to this attorney and listen to the judge. It's a female judge. I I don't know. I don't remember who was on the panel, but it's a female judge, and she's just like, dude. I cannot believe you're trying to sell me this line of bull. Right. I mean, you know, she was. She was more diplomatic about it but the un- what i read between her lines was i can't believe you're trying to sell this bull cuz this is uh, what it is um you know right. another ta- you know some other tattoo artist would have told the jury the tattoos mean something other than i mean it's a black guy hanging from a tree what do you right. think it's going to mean uh, uh. well no no yeah, exactly. the figure is just drawn in black ink Oh, dear
0: Lord.
1: Why did you draw him in purple ink?
0: Right, exactly. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah. So that is, I think, that is all we need to do with uh, John William King, Lawrence Brewer, and Sean Barry. And oh. you know, for Sean Barry, I think he he does have remorse. He may not be willing to voice. The full extent of his participation, but he does seem to have remorse for whatever it was, and to genuinely feel sorry. Because he didn't give those goofy answers, you know, like Jason Baldwin. What would you say to the parents? Well, I don't have anything to say to the parents because I'm not guilty, right? You know. Hello, where is your empathy? All
0: right.
1: You know, what do you have to say to the parents, even if you're not guilty? I'm really sorry for what happened to your son. I guess it's the idea, and it's common today, uh, perhaps because we are a somewhat litigious society. People feel that saying I'm sorry is, is the wrong move. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, saying I'm sorry for what happened to your child, I, you know, I can't imagine going through what you're going through. There's nothing wrong with that, even if you didn't do it, or if you want people to believe you didn't do it. Saying I don't have anything to say to them because I'm not guilty makes you seem kind of guilty, Because if you have to say that, instead of saying, I'm sorry for what happened, eh, maybe you're afraid if you say, I'm sorry for what happened, people are going to know you're guilty. True. So, and and I wish him, he's eligible for parole, I think, parole consideration in like 2038 and he likely will get it because he's admitting, he, and he's he's minimizing to a degree, but he's not he's not trying to say I wasn't there. They borrowed my truck, and I have no idea what happened, um, which he very well could have. Um, so, you know, I think he'll get out on parole, and I I wish him the best of luck in, you know, reintegrating himself into society. Okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, hopefully the gentleman's learned his lesson for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another thing when Dan rather asked him, have you learned what lessons have you learned? He said, pick better friends.
0: Absolutely. Not hang out with the wrong
1: people. Not hang out with the wrong people and they were the wrong people.
0: I don't know about your mom and dad, but I know when I was younger my mama used to tell me uh yeah, your friends can get you in trouble. And this is a pretty good uh pretty good example of it.
1: Well, you know what? My mom, my dad not not so much, but my mom for sure uh it was more what did you do? <laughs> You know, when my when my friend and I got caught skipping class to go early to grab lunch at Burger King across the street from Franklin High School, um I was the one who led her astray. Uh, Even though I was the bag. one so terrified of getting caught by it that I never skipped school until I started hanging out with her. Ah, uh,
2: so
0: she thought you were in the bad you know,
1: But my mom, my mom thought I was a bad influence. Like, no, that's my sisters. (laughs) No, that's Glenn and Lee. That is not me. I never did anything because I knew I'd get caught. Right. And I did not want to deal with the consequences of getting caught. So. All right, well, I think we can put a bow on it. Okay. I'm surprised we didn't hear from Brad about Belmont.
0: Yeah, I definitely, uh, we listened to it Saturday in the truck, and, of course, my pick came in absolute dead last. But, you know, hey, it is what it is.
1: Who was that? Uh,
0: What was it? Who did I say hi Master Taxer or something
1: like that. Master Fencer.
0: Yeah, Master Fencer.
1: Okay, the Japanese horse. Yeah, I don't think he was dead last.
0: Was he not? I thought he was.
1: No, I don't I think Kermit he was. was.
0: Um. But I know none of us picked their Winston.
1: No, we did not, and I feel really bad, because I should have picked Sir Winston, because it's a D-Day anniversary, he's named after Winston Churchill, duh. Ah, okay. You know, why did I not make that connection? I don't know. Um, Okay, Master Fencer came in fit. Oh
2: okay.
1: Bourbon War came in last. War of Will was ninth, Intrepid Heart with was eighth. And then Spinoff and Everfast were six and seven. I did put money on Chovia. Uh-huh. And if I had put money on him to win place or show, I would have made about eight seventy.
2: Dang.
1: I didn't put twenty I didn't put twenty bucks my um my consultant who was going to the OTB on Saturday to place my bet for me. I don't know whether that's legal or not. Um if it's not then it didn't happen. Um uh, he said you don't need to bet $20. It's it's a $1 bet. You know. So he talked me out of 20 bucks. Okay. And then I put $2 on Jovia, but I only did it to win. I should have done it win, place, or show. Because then I would have won the 8 bucks. So I pretty much got my bet back. Nice. But I did not do that. And I heard stories of some woman who just walks in doesn't know the names of any of the horses, doesn't know anything about the horses, just decides to bet on the seven, and she freaking won a couple hundred bucks.
2: Oh, nice.
1: Okay? I hate her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's how it always is. There's
2: always
0: these stories of these people who know nothing about anything, and they just make a
1: BS bet just messing
0: around. You know what?
1: And now the good thing is, I have got a strategy for Breeders' Cup in November of how to do how to place my bets, and we're definitely going to do a Breeders' Cup show. Okay. Uh, Breeders' Cup runs the first weekend in November. So we'll do it like the 29th of October. Okay. So definitely doing a Breeders' Cup. Because we'll see mm-hmm. some of these horses. And, you know, we could talk about all the winning you're in, uh, Breeders' Cup races that have been run. Of course, the Stephen Foster, I think, is running next weekend. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably be watching that. Okay. And because uh, you have to watch those those qualifying races to get an idea about the horses that are going to be racing on the Breeders Cup and Breeders Cup Day, right? So, all right, enough gabbing. Hmm. All right, I'm going to go ahead and do the outro. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook, go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com, or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us next week for Clear and Convincing, Episode 15, Police Investigation 101, with New Orleans Police Department Commander Nicholas L. Gurnan. We'll discuss basic information, including the training police officers receive through the various ranks and specialties in a police department, and the types of equipment that they use to carry out their duties. We'll also talk about the constitutional principles that govern investigations, basic investigation principles, types of evidence, and the role of training and experience in witness and suspect interviews and ultimately solving a crime. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.
3: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky
1: just about anywhere.